Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, October 3rd, 2021, from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 15. This is out of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 15, and it says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Um... Mark said that she was on her, she was, she got down on her knees and she said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffers terribly. And Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away because she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. And so like in the gospel of Mark, it uses a tense when it says knelt, which kind of like, it's the idea of almost like she was almost scooting in front of him, like on her knees, like, and then she said, Lord, help me. And he said, it isn't right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, even the dogs. And that's, a, that's oh gosh, I don't mean to say all this stuff, but that's a Greek word that means puppies. Even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said, woman, you have the greatest faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed in that moment. Lord, help us to understand this, but help us and help us to understand especially stuff we're going through and um, to be able to do it well. Um, we love you. And um, trust you in your precious name. Amen. So, um, okay. So that, well, this is a little bit weird, but the, the, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite preachers ever was a British pastor who he died in 1892 in January, but he was the pastor of a church in London and his name was Charles Spurgeon. He, so, um, he took, he was invited to to preach in this church, it was about a thousand people, and it had gotten down to about eighty people. And um, he was invited to preach there when he was nineteen. And in about a year and a half, they were looking for a place to put like eighteen thousand people. I mean, he was like so amazing. But he was a Baptist, like most of the people in London back then were uh, Anglican, so they were like real liturgical. But he wasn't, you know. And, but there were pastors all over, especially uh, pastors of smaller churches that would get his sermons when they came, came out and they would memorize them and preach them like, you know, they wrote them. And so they came up with it. And there was a, there was a poem that used to say, there once was a preacher named Spurgy and he had no room at all for liturgy, but his sermons are fine. I preach them as mine and so does the rest of the clergy. But at one time he was on a vacation and he went, he was kind of out in the country. So he went to this church, this little Baptist church and, um, and the pastor of this church, he was so mortified, like that Charles Spurgeon was in his church. And for one, two reasons, one, he was super famous and also, um, he was going to preach like his sermon that he had memorized, had stolen it from him and was going to preach it that day. And then to think that Spurgeon was in there, but he didn't know what else to do. So he went ahead and gave it. And at the end, he was like greeting people as they left. And Pastor Spurgeon was leaving. He said, oh, Pastor Spurgeon, it's such an honor to have you here. Um, you know, I preached your sermon, right? He said, yes. And he said, I, it really helped me when I gave it, and it really helped me when I heard it. So the, um, 
So Lee was going to do like all of this month, but we did, we forgot that he was going to be at Young Life Camp. So um, so he said, "Will you take this Sunday?" So because um, we're like doing a month, he do it a month, and I'm doing a month, and um, and so. But what I thought of, well, something that's been on my heart a lot this week was um, this story. But I realized I'd already talked about this a couple of like years ago, like back in our old life before the pandemic. And so a lot of these thoughts have already shared them with you. But so I'm kind of stealing some of this stuff from myself. But I'm just at a place right now this week where I needed to think about this again. And I needed to hear about it again. And I needed to tell you about it again so that I would be better at believing it again. But um, it's just a place where Jesus called a woman a dog. I mean, he didn't call her a dog, but he got his toes right up to the line of almost calling her that. And you're like, well, I mean, that wouldn't bother me. I love my dog. Well, does your dog love you? Does it really? The word is out on that. Like scientists think that your dog, so like when you pet your dog, there's a hormone, oxytocin, that grows in, it's the bonding hormone. It grows in you when you pet your dog and it grows in your dog. So you kind of bond together. Is that love? Really? I mean, it, didn't we learn in middle school that love is more than spiking hormones, you know? And when your dog makes those puppy eyes, scientists believe that the reason dogs make those puppy eyes to get you to give it something is because you do it. And your dog sees you do it and has a muscle that enables it to do it. And then you give it stuff. So, you know, is it really love? Um, are they really begging you? I th there was a cartoon, a far side cartoon that showed this dog and it had a pistol and it was pointing it at his master and said, I want a dog biscuit, Larry, and I'm not going to beg for it. I'm not, you know, but, um, the, but I mean, you know, to be called that and you, you would think you know, I mean, she was bringing like a, a problem that had broken her heart and it had for a long time. And she was like, um, I think she would have appreciated being called something else, being called something that Jesus called other people like my child or um, he called a woman one time my daughter. That would have been better. He called another girl one time my little lamb. All of those were better than almost being called a dog. And I mean, she had done, she, she had taken her stand on her knees, worshiping him. She had done what you're supposed to do when you have a problem like that. I mean, there was a guy, there was a guy in two chapters after this who got in trouble in a way because he didn't do what she did. He had the, a problem with his son. And, and, and so he, he brought his son to Jesus's friends and they couldn't help him at all. And Jesus said, and they said, we can't help him. And Jesus said, bring the boy to me to me. And then Jesus immediately like healed him. 
And his friends, like his followers, said, why couldn't we help him? And Jesus said, these kind of things are only resolved through prayer. But when Jesus, like, healed this boy, he didn't pray. He just did it. And it's like, how do you understand that? And I, I think the way I understand it is that's what he meant when he said, these things are only resolved through prayer. In other words, bring the boy to me. That's what prayer is, is bringing your stuff to him. And that's what she did. I mean, that's what she did with a problem that was related to her daughter that was breaking her heart, that she couldn't do anything about it. And she was worshiping him and brought the problem to him. And Matthew said, initially, all she got was silence. Jesus didn't say anything. Have you ever felt that way? Like you have a, something that's really, really weighing on you and, it's, and you bring it to Jesus and you don't hear anything. Like he said, ask, seek, knock, and you're knocking as hard as you can. And you feel like there's nobody on the other side. There was a, I rem, there was a poem that I, I, I read it like years and years ago. It was a poem that um, an, a patient had written in a psychiatric hospital in England. And, um, and it just said, is there anyone at all? And is there anyone at all? And I'm knock knocking on that open door. And will it ever open? Never now, no more. I'm calling, calling to you. Do you hear? And is there anyone near? And I don't know the road. And I'm afraid to fall. And is there anyone at all? You know, there's a like a, there's one psalm that's particularly like that. Like a lot of times in the psalms, the people that write, wrote them would say, God, why aren't you listening to me? Why don't you wake up? But usually kind of midway or about two thirds of the way through, it kind of resolves in a more positive. I know you hear me. I know you love me. But the one that doesn't do that is like Psalm 88, where it's just like, God, you, you're not listening to me. I'm having this thing. You don't hear me. And it never lightens up and it just, and it ends and it just says, darkness is my, is my closest friend. And it sounds, you know, it sounds like one of those old Simon and Garfunkel songs. You know, the only thing worse, I think, than silence would be if you heard a voice from heaven that said, you have reached the offices of Jesus. Para Español, primer número uno. Your call is important to us. We're sorry. All of our lines are busy. Please try again later. Goodbye. And I'm like, my call is not important to you because uh, like a human being would have answered if it was. And you're not sorry because you're like a digital, you, you're not a human being. Like you don't have emotions, you know. But that's all she, it's all she got. Like she, all she got was silence. And it's kind of like, are you ignoring me? I feel like you're ignoring me, like I'm asking you to help me. 
The word ignore is, it's really a Greek word. It, it's, it's the word to know, and it has a little thing that means not in front of it, like he doesn't know, like you don't know. Are you saying you don't know about this, about my problems? And then Jesus said, he finally said something, and he said, I've only been sent to like the lost sheep of Israel. Like I care about sheep and that's a lot. Like if you care about sheep, sheep are hard to care for. I mean, they're, they're stubborn. I mean, we have, we've had sheep, we have goats. Goats are like a million times better. Like sheep, if you, like there's always those pictures. Well, pictures of Jesus like carrying a sheep, like in front, which you, that is a terrible thing to do because like sheep, when they get upset, when they have um, what they call emotional overwhelm, the way they express it is they pee and they poop. Like that's, and so if you're like carrying it, you're like, I mean, because we, we, I'd have to move Tina's sheep and they'd be like, you know, it, you know, it was like a automatic paintball gun, you know, just like shooting you in the face. And then, but in the, in the early Christian paintings of Jesus, like in the catacombs and stuff, he's always carrying sheep around his back, like over his shoulders, which was the way they did, which makes a lot of sense because it just sends it out that way. But it's, so it's not, it's not, it's not easy to care for sheep. It's a big thing for someone to say, if people are like sheep, I care for sheep. I just don't care for your kind. Like I can't, I've only been sent for the lost sheep of Israel. I haven't been sent for sheep like you. And she was like, first you're ignoring me. And then you say you're indifferent to me. It's like you don't know about my problem. And now, are you seriously saying you don't care about my problem? And then Jesus said that thing about, it isn't right to take the children's food and giving them, give it to the dogs. And she's like, are you calling me a dog? Like, are you, first you're ignoring me, then you're, you seem like you're indifferent to this thing that I'm going through. And now I feel like you're insulting me. You act like you don't know, you act like you don't care, and now you're acting like you don't even love me. What do you do when you feel that way? Like, what do you do, what do you do when you feel, you could feel that way, that Jesus feels that way, that he's, he's just ignoring you, he's just indifferent. His indifference, he might even be insulting you. What did she do? She did something that if you can learn to do it, it is immensely powerful. But she, well, she took her stand in worship and she said, it's like she said, Jesus, you act like you're ignoring me. You act like you're indifferent. You're, you act like you're insulting me. I don't believe it. Like you're acting like you don't know. I don't believe that. You act like you don't care. I don't believe that. You act like you don't love me. I don't believe it. In a certain sense, I don't believe you right now because I believe in you. Because I believe that you are not this way. I believe that you do know 
And I believe, in spite of what you're saying, in spite of how you're acting, I believe you do care. And I believe you do love me. I believe your love. I mean, you tell stories about hens and their little chicks, like you love little chicks, and you tell stories about little lambs, and you call people that, and you love little lambs. What about little puppies? I know you love little puppies. I know you love me. And Jesus said, you're absolutely right. And I feel like, what was that? Like, what was that thing that he was doing to her. And the only way I could think about it was, so she came from, she came from the same region that like Mary Magdalene from Mary of Magdala came from the same region that of like, of the Gadarenes, where the Gadarene demoniac came from. And it could be that she came from a region that had an elevated level of kind of spiritual conflict. You know what I mean? Like, like the spiritual battle that we're all in. And it could be that he was putting her through a war exercise. He was putting her through war games. Because for every one of us who believes in Jesus, there's going to come a day when you're going to hear a voice in your heart, whether it's your family or whether it's your failures or whether it's the devil, and it's going to say to you, he doesn't know, he doesn't care, he doesn't love you. Like, like, like the devil has a sermon it's a perfect sermon. It has three points. They all start with the same letter. And in a problem that you're having, he's going to tell your heart, he's ignoring you. He's indifferent. He's insulting you. And you need to be able to say in a reflexive way, almost as an instinct, I don't believe that. I don't believe you because I know that's not true because I believe in him and I believe he loves me and I'm going to stay right here in front of him with this problem. I know he knows. I know he cares and I know he loves me. And if you think about it, like if you if you, do you know what I mean? Like I'm having to do that, like I've been having to do that some lately where I feel like I could think that. I could think, doesn't he know? Doesn't he care? Doesn't he love me? And I've had to stop and say, I know he knows and I know he cares and I know he loves me because he's Jesus and I know that. And if you think about it for like just a minute, you know that it would be wrong for Jesus to treat you that way, to ignore your problems, to be indifferent towards them, to even with his indifference to assault, to insult you. You know that's wrong because like she said to Jesus, she said, you are the son of David. You're the Messiah. I know you're the Messiah. The Messiah was the one that they were expecting who was going to come and bring to our world right, a world of righteousness and a world of justice to make this world a world of 
of holiness, like righteous, like holiness is basically like righteousness and justice put together. Like righteousness, I mean, if you kind of think about it, like righteousness is holiness in an individual and justice is holiness in like the collective, like in the society, like righteousness is holiness in an individual heart and justice is holiness like in the world. And one time Jesus was talking to a person and he said, okay, so if you take like all of the laws um, that, there, that we have, which was like something like 614, the laws that um, dictated like righteousness in the heart and justice in the world, What's the most important? Like, how, how do you get to holiness in a person and on the planet? And Jesus said, it's love. If you love God, you will be righteous in your heart. And if you love everybody, if everybody loved everybody, there would be justice in the world. And this would be a holy place with holy people in it. Holiness is basically a function of love. Like I remember when I became a Christian and people used to always say, you have to remember that God is holy, but also that God is love. But you need to also remember that God is holy. Like you were saying the opposite, but they're not the opposite. They're the same thing. Like love and holiness are the same. So it would be unloving for Jesus or anybody to ignore the suffering of a poor, vulnerable person. And because it would be unloving, it would be unholy. It would be unrighteous. It would be unjust and it would be wrong. It would be unholy for Jesus or anybody else to be indifferent to the suffering of a poor, vulnerable person who was struggling in this way because it would be unloving and because love and holiness are the same thing, it would be unholy. It would be unrighteous. It would be unjust. Therefore, it would be wrong. It would be unholy for Jesus or anyone else to insult a poor, vulnerable person who was struggling in this way because it would be unloving. It would be unholy. It would be unrighteous. It would be unjust because they're the same thing. And it would be wrong. The only reason, so it would have been wrong for Jesus to have actually felt that way. The only reason, oh, this is, I don't, I hope this isn't complicated, but it's, this has been super helpful to me. The only reason that we know there is such a thing as right and wrong is because we are created by a creator. And what is right and what is wrong and what is holy is reflective of his very nature. Like if we're just here by chance, by some, you know, electrospasm in some primordial proplasm swamp and we're just here by random like mutations or whatever. There is no right and wrong. There's no basis for right and wrong. You're not that different from your dog. And you might think that would be good, but it's but under the right circumstances, your dog would kill your cat and your dog will have sex with whatever dog it wants to. And if you put your dog with my goats, it will eat their poop like it's like it's delicious. They do. They all do. And it's just like that's not that's not right. But it's not that it's wrong or right for a dog because they're a dog. But we're made in the image of God. The reason that there is right and wrong is because the God who made us is holy, which is another way of saying he's righteous and just, which is another way of saying he is love. 
and she called Jesus Lord. Jesus was almighty God. If Jesus was almighty God who became a human being, and if God is love, then Jesus is love. So if I do have a time that I feel like he's ignoring me or he's indifferent or he's insulting me, if I do have a time like that, what I say is I don't believe that. I believe he knows, I believe he cares, and I believe he loves me because he's Jesus, and that's what I believe. And I'm gonna believe it every time. Amen? So, so one thing, okay. That's just been super helpful. And I've needed to remember and think about that lately. One thing that you can do is when you, is you can tell Jesus, okay, maybe you're making me wait on this thing, but I know you love me. I know you know, I know you care. I know you love me. Will you help me? Will you give me just a little bit of encouragement? I did that this week. Shoo wee. I asked Jesus, will you do one little thing to encourage me and help me to hold on a little bit longer? and trust you a little bit better. I just needed encouragement. And I told him what I wanted him to do. And he did. You know, there, there was, a, I was reading again in the Young Life magazine. Sometimes he will, I mean, if you ask him, he will help me to believe you, he'll help you. So there was this couple, this was in 2006. There was a couple whose daughter, Caitlin, was 16 and she had gone to a young life camp in um, Colorado called Frontier Ranch. And it's an amazing place. Um, I think Tina and I were there in 2000 and 2001, I think we went there for a week. It's just an awesome camp. And so she went there and there were, you know, like 600 kids and, um, and she accepted Jesus. And when she came back, I mean, she just was so, she was, I mean, she was always like a really cheerful, enthusiastic person, but even like more so. And her mom and, uh, and her dad, his name was Rob, and you know, they were impressed with how much she had changed. And she started going to um, the, uh, this young life, her young life leader was having a Bible study just to help them grow in their new faith. And she was going to that and, um, about um, after a month had passed, they had gone to have a sleepover at their leader's house. And then she woke up and she dropped dead because she had a, like a congenital heart defect that they didn't know about. And her parents were, they, I mean, they were just super, super devastated. And they were like, God, why would you do this? Like, why would, and the dad didn't really know Jesus, but he was like, why would God do this to us? So anyway, the people with Young Life had contacted them and had asked them if they wanted to go the next summer to um, Frontier Ranch and be guests, like just be a guest at, the, at a week of camp just to get a feel for what Caitlin had experienced and what had happened to her and just to kind of know it a little bit better. So one thing they do on Thursday at Frontier Ranch is, they t and that's the day that that night they're gonna hear about why Jesus died on the cross and how you could open your heart to him. But they take them on a bus, and we did this, and it's like you go on a bus like for about an hour up into the Rocky Mountains, and you're at about 13,500 feet. You're right almost to the Continental Divide. 
And then there's a hike that you do. It's about a mile and a half. It's not very long, but you're way up high and it's hard to breathe. So, um, and, that, and Caitlin had done that hike and um, talked about how hard it was, but her mom and dad, so they were gonna do it. And the, and the mom was, and the, but the dad couldn't. So about halfway up, there's a place where you stop and there are people that make lunch for you so they have lunch ready on the way down. And the dad couldn't do it because he had had a knee replacement or so he just waited right there. He said, I gotta stop, I can't do this. And he was broken heart, he couldn't do it. And the mom said, if she could do it on three quarters of a heart, I can do it with a broken heart. And so she made it all the way to 14,000 feet with all the kids. But the dad just waited at the, at the rest stop where they were making lunch. And he got talking to this couple and he told them that why they were there, that they had lost their daughter. And they said, six years ago, we lost our 16-year-old son. And they were like, wow. And they just hugged and cried together. And then Rob said, on Caitlin's birthday this year, we had her softball team over and we had a cookout and we released balloons. And they said, that's exactly what we did for our son. We had a soccer team over, we had a cookout <clears throat> on his birthday and we released balloons. <clears throat> and Rob said, right then, a purple balloon, you're at 14,000 feet, you couldn't be any further from nowhere. And at 14,000 feet, a purple balloon, purple was Caitlin's color. They had purple bracelets on to remember her. A purple balloon flew out of the forest, out of the Rocky Mountains, and it had a ribbon on it and it got caught in a tree branch. And they looked at each other and they went to get it and it said, happy birthday. So Rob accepted Jesus Christ and then, and stood up at the say so and told that story and showed the balloon and they gave him a standing ovation. Maybe there's somebody here, Lord, who needs a little help. I'm trusting you in a difficult time trusting and needing to believe that you know that you care and that you love them, that whatever problem it is, you've got it. You know what you're going to do it. You're not ignoring them. You're not indifferent. You're not insulting them. Help them to believe it as an instinct and as a reflex. And if they need a little help, would you give it to them? We love you. I was lost. I was aimless. I was broken. I was hopeless. I was hurt. I was lonely. Thinking of myself only. But Jesus made me. Totally.
life showed it I needed hope and didn't know it But now I live, now I'm set free, now I can't 